Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Oh man, it is the week today, right? It is the week where we celebrate today the greatest week in history. Man, it's Easter week, so we are excited that you're with us no matter where you are joining us from. Have you ever been inundated, overloaded with decisions? Right? You go over to Firehouse Sub and they have the big red soda machine and you see all the different variations of soda. They have the, the calorie-free drinking stations. They have the, the carbonated drinking station. And, and you just pick the buttons, and there's a lot of choices, right? Or maybe if you're a parent in the room and you ever take your child to go get some ice cream, and you let them look at all the ice cream choices. Or, man, it is tax season. The tax return, hopefully some of us got some, right? What am I going to do with that money I made from the government? The joke's kind of on us, right? Because it's really our money anyway. But we get the money back. What do I do? What kind of truck do I buy? Is it Chevy? Is it Ford? Please never be the Dodge, right? You know, like we're inundated with choices in our life. A lot of times we, we get so many choices thrown our way. Psychologists call this a choice overload basis, where we, we get this understanding and, and think and we, and we look at all the things before us and we can't really hone in on what decision to make. What's the right decision? What do I need to do? When really it comes down to the two choices that matter, one being greater than the other. And that's going to lead me into this morning's big idea. Follow the cross, not the crowd. Follow the cross, not the crowd. Now, we follow the cross because of the person that carried that cross. His name is Jesus. That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday. Many of you, if maybe you've been the first time to church and you're wondering why we call it Palm Sunday because in Christian tradition this time, many years ago, Jesus had a triumphant entry and people laid palm branches showing honor. So this is the kicking off of Passion Week or Holy Week. We call it Palm Sunday because it's a, it's a moment of celebration and it's even a moment of maybe some misguided celebration. And we'll talk about that in just a second. See, when Jesus enters the scene of our lives, things change. And we come down to really two choices that we have to wrestle with. The first one is this, we can follow the crowd. We can follow the crowd. Online platforms make it very easy to participate with the crowd. Now, a lot of times we talk about these online platforms, we instantly think of the next generation. But let's talk about Facebook. Many of us have a Facebook, right? We share opinions. We see somebody uh, share something we agree with and we reshare it and, and we share them. And, and very quickly, we become a part of this large crowd that's maybe speaking on a political agenda, a social topic, an issue that maybe someone's wrestling with. Or maybe you're in the next generation and, and you got the TikTok dances down. 
And before you know it, you're dancing back and forth and you're trying to be a part of the crowd. And then you got to ask yourself, would my grandmother like that dance? Right? See, a lot of times we get in the mix of the crowd or when the crowd becomes the news outlet that we champion or, or maybe in the church, there's a certain maybe section of the church or believers. When I talk about the church, I'm not talking about just faith assembly. I'm talking about overall where we can become overly critical and we kind of indulge in the crowd practices. We become, hey, what is church for me? What do I gain out of church rather than saying, am I becoming a disciple that can make disciples? See, the choice we have to ask ourselves is this, are we a part of the crowd or number two, are we people that are going to follow Jesus? There's this differentiation factor when Jesus enters the scene. He changes lives. He shapes lives. He transforms lives. Church, that's why we gather today and in this week. Everything in history revolves around this week. And sometimes we take it very lightly. But when Jesus enters the scene, things change. And it's the choices that we'll always wrestle with. Am I part of the crowd? Or am I truly being an individual that's going to pick Jesus in every area of of my life. So this morning, I want to start with choice number one. Choice number one is, is this. We can follow the crowd, which leads to confusion. Now, many times when I write my messages, I, I try to bring an application point, but I think today we have to really highlight these points or the characteristics of the crowd so we get a complete understanding. See, there's three characteristics that majorly pop out to us when we look at this particular scene or this week of Jesus's life. The first one is this, the crowd lacks understanding. When we're part of the crowd, when we're following the crowd, we fight, we want, we want to maintain gain, we want to be in the know, we want understanding, but as much as we fight for understanding, as much as the crowd needs understanding, needs clear answers, many times we miss the mark. See, the, the crowd is so uh, leaning and, and the crowd is so fascinating with getting clarity for our now, for our answer. But when it comes to being a part of the crowd, there are numerous times where it's simply that they lack understanding. Matthew 21, verses 8 through 11, we'll read a part of the triumphant uh, story of Jesus in Palm Sunday. Verse 8 goes this, most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, him being Jesus, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now they did this, going back to an, a customary time back in the Old Testament where someone of, of privilege, someone of, of, of lordship, kingship would walk through a town, they would lay out like carpet so they wouldn't get their feet dirty, showing great honor and homage. Verse 9 continues, Jesus was in the center of the procession. We saw in that video. And, and the people all around him were shouting, praise God for the son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city 
was in an uproar as he entered. Some scholars believe, historians believe, that there was over 2,700,000 individuals right here, all this region of Galilee, coming to see Jesus or coming for the Passover feast. Excuse me there. And then when we have the, the, the livestock, the lambs, the cows, the city was packed, hardly any walking room. You saw the video. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? They asked. And the crowds replied, it is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. See, the crowd lacks understanding. And this is what I mean by that. You said, well, Pastor Blake, you just, you just read scripture where they, they cheered on Jesus. Well, if you know anything about the, the, the history of this week, is just a few days later, many individuals, the crowd that was cheering, chanting, saying all the right things, ends up saying, crucify him. They lacked understanding. See, this crowd was thinking that Jesus was going to be this, this armor, this, this man who would come in on a mighty horse, this war horse that would deliver the Jewish people, raise up the Israelite nation to be this next leader, to be this mighty man. And Jesus came in with a whole completely different way of bringing salvation. Jesus wasn't focused on the now, but he was focused on the eternal in the individual's lives, in our lives. And see, if we looked at ourselves and put ourselves back in this place, unfortunately, we all probably would be part of that crowd. It's a sobering truth. When we think about the crowd, we see this detail in Luke 19.36. This man by the name of, of Peter, a very close disciple, was probably one of the leaders in the disciple group. And, and he's this individual where... He would act first and think later. So we can probably look at the, in, uh, the text and infer in, in the chapter of Luke 19 and see that when they start laying out the robes and the palms, that some of the first people to probably do that were Jesus' closest disciples, one of them being Peter. Now, if you know Peter's story, you fast forward throughout the week. What does Peter do that is so heartbreaking? Peter ends up denying Jesus three times. But then you take a, another step back and you look at the 12, it says in Scripture that they scattered in Mark 14, 50, when Jesus ends up going to the cross. The disciples that were probably leading this procession, getting the crowd, saying that this is Jesus' first and, and, and greatest public statement as the coming Messiah, a Messiah they didn't really understand, not a one of war, but of one of grace, mercy, and love. Disciples, they were commissioned, but at the end of it, at the end of this week, they were left puzzled. See, a lot of times the crowd is very in a position that lacks understanding. It's confusing. It's kind of an a, a, a interesting place to be. The crowd is also number two for us when it comes to a characteristic of a crowd is this, the crowd is persuasive. 
The crowd is persuasive. Have you ever been with a group of people and you didn't want to eat that kind of meal, but you decided, okay, everybody wants to do it? I will do it. The crowd is persuasive. See, this goes back time and time again when we have to continually just who is speaking in our life, who's speaking through our life, who are we surrounding ourselves with? It's been said that you show five people, the closest five people to you in your life is a, is a model of maybe what your life looks like. So if the closest people to you in your life are people maybe far from God, people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, people who don't attend church, more than likely you're following some of those habitual patterns. The crowd is very persuasive. We fast forward throughout the week in Matthew chapter 27, verses 17 through 21. This is what we mean when we say the crowd is persuasive. As the crowds gather before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release, Barabbas or Jesus, who is the Messiah? Now, Barabbas, if he's this maybe a popular prisoner, an evil individual, had some uh, reputation that followed him. But what's interesting when Pilate makes this statement, he says, do you want to release Jesus who is called Messiah? Almost this understanding that Pilate knew Jesus' significance. Verse 18, he knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Men, if you're married and you're wondering if you ever should listen to your wife, this is the verse to key in on. But see, Pilate, he sees these people who are gathering before him in, in, this, in his home residence and this crowd is in the masses and they're stirred up by these religious leaders. And, and Pilate is told something very, very unique from someone very close in his life, yet he ignores that voice because the crowd is very persuasive. The crowd is very loud. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted, shouted back, Barabbas. The crowd is very persuasive. See, Pilate doesn't listen to his wife. He actually overlooks the innocence of Jesus. We call this the, the, peer, the, the peer influence effect. Scientifically, it's been proven that our moral behavior is contagious. When, when we think about that, how we live our lives, how we process our lives, how we go through our lives, if we're around good people in our lives, that moral behavior will be contagious in our life. Where many people who wrestle with making good decisions, I would say, who's the crowd in your life? Who's persuading you in your life? There was a study that was released that individuals would see what the majority voted and then a question would be asked. 
And if they would get, if they would see the majority, they would automatically, almost 90% of the time, say, I'm going to vote with the majority, no matter what was in front of it, no matter what the decision might be made. See, Pilate knew deep down, I believe three times Pilate saying, hey, he's innocent. There's nothing that we can find. You look in one particular part of the gospel, you can see that he is then over, uh, Jesus gets pushed in front of Herod. And Pilate says, Herod, what do you think? And Herod, this evil man, looks at Jesus, mocks Jesus. Jesus doesn't respond. And then Herod says, sends him back to Pilate. and, And he's like, Jesus is fine. But yet the crowd is shouting. The crowd is loud. Oftentimes, the crowd in our life will be the first voice. They showed up early. The loudest voice, the most eager, the most ready voice. But it's a voice that we have to be very cautious of and make sure we pay attention to which way it's leading us. We kind of see the crowd forming in, in our culture right now. We see it impacting churches. What's a, what's a church's beliefs? What's a church's doctrinal statement? Does it, does it, is it all-inclusive? Does it, does it back? Does it affirm? Does it say yes and no to what I believe? Or is it biblically centered and rooted? The crowd is very persuasive. The crowd is very loud. And number three for the crowd characteristics is this. The, the crowd pursues evil. The crowd pursues evil. Now, we don't like to really discuss that. We don't like to say, hey, in our nature, we have some problems. And maybe you're in this room and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor Blake, I don't think people, this philosophical debate that's been with us from the very beginning of time, I don't think that people are are evil at the root. I believe people are good at the root. And this is what I would say to you. Take two toddlers, put them in a room, and give them one piece of candy. That's how you'll discover someone's innate nature. Now, we can magnify that. You say, put two adults in a room and give them a million dollars and see who comes out, right? See, our innate nature is to do what isn't really pleasing to the Lord. We see at the very beginning in the the fall in the book of Genesis, what's Adam and Eve's response to when they have a choice, to when they have an opportunity. See, we are made good because of what Jesus does for us this week, some million or excuse me, some thousands of years ago. That's why we are made good. He is holy for we are holy. The crowd pursues evil. See, we see in Matthew 27. Now keep this in mind that this is all in the context of one week. Matthew 27, verses 22 and 23. Pilate responded, Then what should I do with Jesus who is called Messiah? They shouted back, Crucify him. Pilate responds, Why? Pilate demanded, What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. The crowd chooses pleasure over principle. The crowd chooses entertainment over morality. The crowd is persistent in their choice of evil. The crowd leads and follows their emotions. We see this happening and four times uh, Pilate attests to Jesus's innocence and yet what's the crowd yell even louder? 
crucify him. In Matthew 27, verses 24 and 26, we see Pilate saw that he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing. So he sent a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And this is where we even see kind of this foster even more in verse 25. And all the people yelled back, We will take the responsibility for his death. We and our children. Talk about scary. Talk about evil. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged and led with with a lead tipped whip. And he turned over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Characteristics of a crowd. So my question to you this morning, when we talk about the crowd, are you following the crowd? Are you someone that's easily persuaded? Are you someone that's maybe when you're wrestling and looking at things, bending towards some maybe evil actions in your life? Are you an individual that's in here saying, am I having complete understanding? Am I realizing what this week is for and why and how devout my relationship with Jesus is? Are we going to be people that follow the cross or are we going to be people that follow the crowd? But like every story, like every redemption that Jesus brings throughout our life is there's always hope. See, Jesus gives us the cross to to bring us hope. Jesus gives and dies and gives his life over for us so that we don't have to be someone that's in the crowd that might made the mistake, but so we can be someone that can redeem ourselves through him and a relationship with him. The crowd leads to confusion, but the cross leads to hope. And that leads to choice number two. We can follow the cross, which leads to hope in Jesus. We see the triumphal entry in each of the four gospels. But we find this next detail, only particularly these next four verses in Luke. And I find it fascinating. Join me, Luke 19, verses 41 and 44. And this is where we can see hope in a very unique way when it comes to Jesus. But as he came closer to Jerusalem, now Jesus, he, a few days before this week, this triumphant entry, he comes in, he's in Bethany, and he sends his disciples to go get uh, a, a donkey. And uh, when they go get the donkey, they come back, and Jesus is riding down the Mount of Olives, elevated into the city of Jerusalem. And that's kind of setting the scene for us right here in this passage. But as Jesus came closer to Jerusalem, he saw the city ahead, and he began to weep. A lot of times we overlook that part of the story this week. How I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and the peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. 
This is Jesus' bold statement when he's looking upon the city of Jerusalem, marching in, the crowd is cheering, the, the people are saying, there's our coming Messiah, yet Jesus weeps, Jesus sobs. Oftentimes there's this misunderstanding. If you look at any maybe kid, I remember when I was in Sunday school and we had the flannel, flannel graph, anybody with me? And you would get to pick and you would slap them on there. It'd be my turn to take home the flannel graph. And you remember Jesus on the donkey flannel graph smiling when in actuality Jesus is sobbing because he knows the people that he's going to die for didn't quite understand who he was. He's seeing this and he's experienced people are cheering and Jesus is weeping. He's saying that city that's packed out, that's loaded, that has many, many people are people that I'm coming for to hopefully bring a new hope for. This is why we can celebrate Jesus' hope. Notice very early on in verse 41, it says, but as he came closer... See, we have hope because Jesus initiates a relationship with us. I don't know about you, but uh, I've had no one in my life, and maybe some of you in here have. No one has gone to the extent of Jesus to have a relationship with me. No one has said, hey, Blake, I'm going to give you my life so that we can to show you great love. Now, maybe you're in this place and someone has done that great deed and that is a testament to their character. But when I think of our relationship, talk about hope. Jesus is pursuing us. Jesus initiates a relationship with us. Jesus cares so much about me that he wants to say, Blake, you matter. Blake, I'm for you. Blake, I'm with you. Blake, I'm coming. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God shows his love for us that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we fight to get in the crowd at times, but Jesus went through a fight to get to us. See, we need to model Jesus' life. We need to be individuals that say, hey, because Jesus initiated a relationship with us, I'm going to initiate relationship with others so that they can experience the love of him through the way I live my life, through my relationships. That's why we're kicking off faith groups again for our, our second session of the year to get involved, to get people tied in, to get people connected because that's how relationships are fostered getting to know one another, getting to live life, getting to study the word. But it takes initiation and we can follow Jesus's lead in our lives. See, we have hope because we know we're not just stranded on an island and know that it's all up, left up to us. We have hope because we know that Jesus has started something and Jesus is gonna finish something. Church, that's something to be excited about. Number two reason that we have hope is this because Jesus brings true and complete peace. Jesus brings true peace. Even in hostile times, you know it, we see it. There's hostile activities taking place all through the world, but we know Jesus brings us peace. When the world is in dysfunction and disorder and all sorts of craziness has taken place, we know that we can have complete peace knowing that Jesus is going to win out at the end. 
Jerusalem, this word Salome, this word of peace is part of its city's names. We see this in Hebrews, but actually the city that is called city of peace, a, a piece of peace is actually missing peace on the inside. The outward appearance, the crowd cheering, people applauding, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is here. They lacked the peace on the inside. See, outward appearance doesn't always match with our inward peace. John 16, says this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus, that's why we celebrate this week. We have hope because three for us is this. Jesus redeems our missed opportunities. Now, when you look in verses 42 and 43 and 44, Jesus talks about this, this siege that takes place around the city of Jerusalem where they can't escape, where the decision's already made. Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives and he's seeing what's going to happen and, and he's knowing what's going to happen, that he's going to go to the cross and that he's going to give his life for all these people, that they've already missed their opportunity that they're, they're not understanding what's taking place. But for us, we have redemption knowing that we have God's word, that we can look back and say, no matter what's happened in my past, no matter what's gone on in my history, that Jesus can continue to restore me, redeem me, forgive me, lead me, and guide me. Like we have hope in that. We have hope knowing that no matter what opportunity we've missed, God is still for us. God is with us. It's never too late. When I think of missed opportunities, if, if uh, maybe you're like me, you like to always have a little fun. You know, sometimes we take things too serious. And when I think of missed opportunities, I'm reminded of a couple things. The first one is this. Check out this picture. To my left, you're right. Now, it's Easter. Pepsi last year released, released Peepsy, Okay. But check this out. They missed an opportunity. They just had it Pepsi with the peeps. They could have called it Peepsy, right? Like missed opportunity. All right, here we go. We got another missed opportunity. Look, we have the duck. It says Scrubtastic. What about Scrubber Ducky, right? Like, like we, could, we could work there. Or then we have this one right here. And we have Seize This Moment. How about Sneeze This Moment? Right? See, a lot of times we'll, we'll label something, we'll throw it out there, and it'll be a missed opportunity, and it'll be packaged, delivered, and it's already gone. But with Jesus, we can always get that return. With Jesus, we can say, hey, we need some more help. Jesus, I need clarity. Help me right here. God, give me your spirit. See, whatever missed opportunity you might be in this place struggling with going through, we have an opportunity right now to receive his radical love and mercy. And at the end of our time together, you'll see how you can start a relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 5 says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Be wise in how we live and how we walk and how we lead our lives. But know this, that whatever mistake we make, we know our God is for us and Jesus is with us.
Number four for us when it comes to we, when we have hope is this. Jesus loves us despite how we recognize him. Despite how we recognize him. This crowd who is actively cheering for Jesus, but they didn't recognize who he was. We, we see that at the very end of the passage of Luke, they, when Jesus says, you didn't recognize God who was with them. So these people had a revelation God had made known in the scriptures of the Old Testament. They had the continuing evidence that God was active in the life and ministry of Jesus. They could see in him that God had not forgotten his people. And yet they didn't really recognize him. They didn't see him. They were so caught up in their misguided understanding that they didn't recognize the Lord and Savior, this, this man coming in on a, a humble donkey, was there for them. You might be in this place right now and you're having this opportunity to recognize who really Jesus is in your life. As a church, we believe he's the Lord and Savior, the, the person who died on the cross, who didn't have to die on the cross, who lived a sinless, sinless and blameless life that took our place, atoned for our sins. See, church, we recognize that. That's why we celebrate Palm Sunday. That's why we say we're cheering because we understand. We know that some people might have missed the opportunity, but today we're not missing the opportunity. Today we're celebrating. Today we're rejoicing because the hope we have is simply that our God is for us and with us. Romans 14, 9 says this, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Jesus is Lord. So how are we going to recognize him today? At the beginning I asked you, are you going to be a person that follows the cross? Or are you going to be a person that follows the crowd? When the world is crazy, when the world is loud, when the world is persuading us to think different, challenges our belief, we have an opportunity to lean into our good, good, good Father who gave us his one and only son, Jesus, who died on the cross for us. So we're gonna always follow the cross because of who carried the cross. Peter says this at the very, uh, Peter says this to give believers he says this for God called you to do good even if it means suffering just as Christ suffered for you he is your example and you must follow in his steps church let's be a church that follows Jesus that follows the cross not the crowd when everything goes in turmoil or in his disarray we know where our foundation rests so today, as we wrap up our service, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to close in a song, and then we'll have some final instructions. But in this time and in this moment, ask yourselves, say, God, I need you to reveal to me in such a real, authentic way what I need to do to follow you more precisely, not to be persuaded by the crowd, not to be misguided, not to be influenced, but to be someone that is following the cross. Because, man, that's why we celebrate this week, Easter week, Passion week, Holy week.
I'm also going to invite our prayer team forward because we know prayer changes things. And if you need someone to pray with you up in front, we'll give you that opportunity as well as we sing this song. But church, let's be a church that will always follow the cross, not the crowd, no matter how long or how loud that crowd is. Let me pray over you and let's sing. God, right now I pray your blessing rain down on each individual in this place, that we be people that are, are for you, that are following your cross because of what happened on the cross, how death was defeated, as destruction was completely eradicated in lives, Lord. But we know what brings peace, and that's you. That's a relationship with you. I pray for those in this place. Guide us and lead us, Lord. And may we always find our hope in your Son, Jesus. In your great and holy name we say, amen. Let's sing, church. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.